Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I think it's fair to say this is not your typical election. Have you always told the truth? I've always tried to. I have a winning temperament. I know how to win. She does not have Secretary how to win. Clinton. Wait. Secretary Clinton. Whoa. Okay. I understand the tax laws better than almost anyone, which is why I am one who can truly fix them. I understand it. I get it. Here's my question. What kind of genius loses a billion dollars in a single year? I better use some Tic Tacs just in case I start kissing her. This is disgraceful. It is intolerable. And it doesn't matter what party you belong to. Democrat, Republican, Independent, no woman deserves to be treated this way. None of us deserves this kind of abuse. USA! 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 This is a new setup. It's gotten fancier. All right, guys, you all situated? Let's do this. Yeah, oh, let me get you some wine. From the New York Times, this is The Run-Up. I'm Michael Barbaro. It's not the first time I've said it in this election, but it is the last time. It's 1 a.m. in the New York Times newsroom. There are only a few of us left here in the early morning hours after the third and final presidential debate. Joining me graciously, heroically, and with the promise of bottomless cheap rosé here in the studio are two of my dearest colleagues and deskmates, Nick Confessori, who's been a close student of Donald Trump in this election, and Amy Chozik, who knows the Clinton campaign better than any journalist out there. Hey, Nick. Hey, Amy. Hi. Hey, Maggie. Did you say bottomless? Yeah, bottomless. 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 We'll see. Did you say cheap? (laughs) Nick, going into this debate, I think there was a question of whether we would get Donald Trump the presidential candidate making like an earnest last-ditch effort to salvage his candidacy after pretty much the ugliest month in the history of any presidential campaign, or Donald Trump, the poor loser who's positioning himself for life after losing to Hillary Clinton. Tell me which one you felt showed up tonight. Both. Uh, The first one showed up for a lot of the debate. We saw Trump trying to execute on the kind of training that his advisors claim they've been giving him for months and months. So we saw a more sedate Trump, a guy who landed a few lines, who had perhaps even memorized a few of the sound bites and factoids he had been told to about uh, the WikiLeaks emails or about waste at the State Department. Just like when you ran the State Department, $6 billion was missing. How do you miss $6 billion? You ran the State Department, $6 billion was either stolen, they don't know, it's gone. But you saw bit by bit his kind of resentment and impatience coming out over the night. And within about 45 minutes, it was back to wrong, wrong, you're wrong, and the kind of SNL caricature of Donald Trump. But he tried his best for a good while. I think he did. In fact, I would say this was probably his best debate. I think this was... You know, given his limits as a candidate um, and his temperament, I think this is probably the most mature debater that we were likely to see from Donald Trump um, in this election. So the big headline from this debate was that Donald Trump refused to say whether he would accept the results of this election. But, sir, there is a tradition in this country, in fact, one of the prides of this country, 
is the peaceful transition of power and that no matter how hard fought a campaign is, that at the end of the campaign, that the loser concedes to the winner, not saying that you're necessarily going to be the loser or the winner, but that the loser concedes to the winner and that the country comes together in part for the good of the country. Are you saying you're not prepared now to commit to that principle? What I'm saying is that I will tell you at the time, I'll keep you in suspense. That is an absolute first for a presidential candidate. What, what the hell was that about? Well, I think part of Donald, big part of Donald Trump's strategy right now is is minimizing turnout. And I think the Clinton campaign have been trying to send people like Michelle Obama and Barack Obama out to say, you know, that's there's this election is not going to be rigged and we have to make sure it's not. I mean, they're really focused on on margin now and maybe winning states like Arizona and places where it's just winning so decidedly that it's impossible for Donald Trump to say that it's rigged. But it's something that the Clinton campaign is almost sort of, you know, she's she's kind of. She just had a press conference on her plane on the flight back and called it outrageous. But but it's something like, you know, Hillary Clinton potentially winning is not contingent on Donald Trump, you know, acknowledging the win. <laughs> exactly. But is, Nick, is that about protecting pride? Or, I mean, I, it makes me think about the birther thing where 72 hours before he was ready to surrender to the fact that Barack Obama was born in the United States, he did this cliffhanger thing. He loves the idea that he's not ready to tell you something essential. And maybe it's because it gives him a greater power than he may actually have. It feels like his innate kind of TV training uh, just to create cliffhangers and suspense. You agree with what I did? I do. All right, I'm going to fire somebody else. I actually thought that the question from the debate moderator, Chris Wallace, uh, was too broadly framed. Uh, Because candidates always challenge the results of elections. They always ask for recounts. They always, you know, go through the courts in close elections. Now, now, this is not shaping up to be a close election. And, of course, Donald Trump uh, has promulgated conspiracy theories and unsubstantiated rumors about uh, fraud and voter fraud around the country, which is not happening as far as anybody can tell. Um, I think it would have been useful uh, for Wallace to narrow the question a bit to say, if the courts, if, if, if officials at election bureaus, you know, have validated this election, in that case, will you accept it? Because that really drills down on what he's probably trying to do here, which is escape the consequences of his own problems and his own failures. I mean, Hillary Clinton had a great, you know, she gets mocked for these kind of canned lines. But I think with the rigged election, she had a great line about how Donald Trump claimed that the Emmy Awards had been rigged after The Apprentice did not win for three years in a row. And he, you know, to Nick's point, just couldn't help himself. He said, should have gotten one. You know, every time Donald thinks things are not going in his direction, he claims whatever it is is rigged against him. Uh, The FBI conducted a year-long investigation into my emails. They concluded there was no case. He said the FBI was rigged. He lost the Iowa caucus. He lost the Wisconsin primary. He said the Republican primary was rigged against him. Then Trump University gets sued for fraud and racketeering. He claims the court system and the federal judge is rigged against him. Uh, There was even a time when He didn't get an Emmy for his TV program three years in a row, and he started tweeting that the Emmys were rigged against him. Should have gotten it. This this is a mindset. This This is how Donald thinks. And it's funny, but it's also really troubling. So, Amy, that brings me to the kind of... And, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, the Emmys, come on. I did watch that show for seven seasons. Who believes the Emmys are not rigged? (laughs) Amy. Yes. 
Trump is usually the interrupter and the mocker and the condescender in these debates and pretty much any interaction he has with, with anyone in this campaign. But he wasn't alone in that role tonight, was he? Hillary Clinton very much came out, you know, ready to just hammer him. He went to Mexico. He had a meeting with the Mexican president. Didn't even raise it. He choked and then got into a Twitter war because the Mexican president said, we're not paying for that wall. She almost took the role of him, you know, bullying, bullying the the man who pretends to be the bully. Um, and she really came out, I think, strong. I mean, she's a very seasoned debater. I covered her debating Barack Obama for something like 20 debates, I think maybe all but one, you know, she she was considered to have won. And so she comes on a very seasoned debater. And I think that she brought, you know, her preparation. And this time the uh, the kind of comebacks and attacks did not feel as sort of canned and corny as they did the first time. Um, and they they really stuck. And I think they got under his skin. I mean, to Nick's point, he continually tried to stick to his points and get back to policy. And he just like couldn't resist, you know. I thought this debate was much more policy focused than any of the others we've seen so far in the general election. They got straight away into some incredibly contentious but substantive issues like the Supreme Court and the appointments that they both make mm-hmm. to it, gun rights, abortion rights. I want to talk about the back and forth that they had over Roe v. Wade, which got incredibly graphic, I think by design. If you go with what Hillary is saying, in the ninth month, you can take the baby and rip the baby out of the womb of the mother just prior to the birth of the baby. Now, you can say that that's okay, and Hillary can say that that's okay, but it's not okay with me. Why do we think Donald Trump decided to make that so graphic. I think a problem Trump has had throughout this campaign is that he's so shallowly versed in all the arcana of conservative policy that when he does make a stab at this, he doesn't really avail himself of any of the tailored language that political activists and party experts have spent years and years coming up with, right? So abortion is a great example. Um, I think Republicans have been successful in persuading a majority of Americans to be skeptical of or or opposed to late-term abortion with, with careful phrasings about language and what right. the implications are. And they have all kinds of ways of talking about it. Trump gets out there and he says, I'm going to tear the baby out of your womb in like the 12th month or whatever, right? And he's just like, he doesn't wasn't very know the language. Um, and I think he kind of flips the other way. He did say he takes nine months. Let's give him a little okay, credit. Nine months, nine months. <laughs> it's late. But, but you know, I think early. that attack could have landed a lot more solidly and actually hit a pressure point for Hillary Clinton if he had known how to talk about it. Now, meanwhile— That's interesting. I, so, I somewhat disagree because I know I've talked to a lot of evangelical Republicans who don't necessarily like Trump, but they just absolutely hate Hillary Clinton because of the late-term abortion. And I just thought something—the very visceral graphic image can galvanize those voters who are skeptical of Trump, who's been divorced, who maybe isn't that religious, but it's just this, the abortion is such a sticking point. Um, of course, Hillary Clinton feels like she can, you know, if women voters aren't excited already, she can, uh, you know, excite them by sticking up for Planned Parenthood, which she's done throughout. It was actually, the first, she was the first candidate for Planned Parenthood to endorse in a primary. I was surprised she didn't mention Donald Trump's history of being pro-choice and donating to pro-choice candidates. I guess there's just no upside in her doing anything. And in fact, he's, he's um, you know, as recently as February, he was praising Planned Parenthood. And he was, in fact, 
kind of defending Planned Parenthood against the idea that it only does abortions, which is not true, right? But that that's the conservative attack on Planned Parenthood. Um, he was on the wrong side of this for Republicans. And again, I think what you were seeing tonight is he was ticking off three or four or five issues that would make him palatable uh, to the mainline Republican voter, the people who are usually voters for Republican candidates in a presidential election, but have just fled him in this election. All right, hold your next thought. We need to take a quick break, but we will be right back. Drink. 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 This podcast is supported by Carvana. Looking to buy your dream car? Shop the convenient way. 100% online with Carvana. Carvana offers hassle-free financing that's completely transparent. All you have to do is answer a few questions, and you could get pre-qualified in just two minutes. Then, see your real terms and actual monthly payments as you scroll through Carvana's huge inventory of cars. The numbers you see are personalized just for you. It's that easy to find the right car for the right price, as it should be. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to finance your dream car the convenient way. My name is Thomas Gibbonsneff. I'm a journalist at the New York Times. I served in the Marine Corps as an infantryman. When it comes to reporting on the front line, a lot of the same basics are at play. Uh, you're looking at the map of where you're going. If you're on a paved road, field roads, you know, is there a hospital nearby? Is your body armor affixed with the first aid kit? Does everyone know where that first aid kit is? We arrive into a, a military position. I get out of the car. I look at my watch. You know, I set a timer. No more than an hour. I'm listening for drones, jets, checking with the team. Is everyone comfortable? And if they are, then we proceed. Frontline reporting is dangerous, but I think nothing is more important than talking to the people involved, you know, hearing their stories and being able to connect that with people thousands of miles away. Anything that can make something like this more personal, I think is well worth the risk. New York Times subscribers make it possible for us to keep doing this vital coverage. If you'd like to subscribe, you can do that at nytimes.com slash subscribe. All right, welcome back. So in the first 20 or 30 minutes of this debate, it felt like this was actually going to be pretty civilized and a departure from the first two debates. But then, of course, things did manage to get kind of ugly. Well, that's because he'd rather have a puppet as president of no the puppet, United States. No puppet, no puppet. It's pretty clear. You're the puppet. It's pretty clear you won't admit no, that the, the Russians have engaged in cyber attacks. Hillary Clinton accuses Donald Trump of being a puppet, and his response was kind of bizarre. I'm not not a puppet. You're the puppet. You're the puppet. You're the puppet. But what what did that mean? I mean, it felt it like a, just it felt just instinctive. It felt, it felt like, like a reflexive. playground taunt. Exactly. It was arm rubber and your glue. I mean, there's nothing more to it. There, 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 there wasn't anything more to but, it. I mean, it was just, no, take, you're a puppet. He didn't even take the opportunity to say, because having evaluated, I mean, he, looked, a he puppet wouldn't of use who? that a word. of what? It because of the which, Russian which reset failed no and you're there for. I mean, it's not like he, I don't think he had any idea at that point. So it was from there on you could kind of, you could remember just how much these two candidates really did not like each other. I am not quoting she has myself. No idea. I am quoting Hillary, you 17, have no idea. 17. And at one point, Trump called Clinton a nasty woman, which felt like a real kind of low point in, in maybe all the debates. Such a nasty woman. Um, let's just pause and say, by the way, that nasty is his like unique adjective. I, I've almost never heard anyone use that word about a person. It's such a, a throwback. He's nasty. She's na- It's such a like a weird slang from back in the day. He 
uses it all the time. A reporter is nasty. She's nasty. Some official is nasty. It's weird. It is weird. But is it effective? I don't think so. The message we got from Trump Lamb was that this was going to be the scorched earth campaign. He was going to take, he was not just going to take down his own candidacy potentially in this debate, but he's going to take down the entire Republican Party and brand. But I don't think that happened, do you? No, no. I, I, you know, again, I do not think that this was a catastrophic debate for Donald Trump. I know I'm flying a headwind here against two friends who have written a story and we should serve Ron for Hillary Clinton. But, but I feel like, you know, this was, again, probably his best debate and probably not Clinton's best debate in a lot of ways. Uh, look, I think Republican voters want to hear some basic Republican ideas, low taxes and deregulation and pro-life. Uh, and he talked about and them. Second I think, Amendment. Second, yeah, exactly, and guns. And I think mm -hmm. this was the first time I've heard him string all those conventional parts uh, of their ideology together in one in one part of a debate. Uh, I think that could help him accept that. I think there were just too many errors in this debate. And it all became about him uh, and his sense of peak and resentment and the lashing out at the end and, you know, with the nasty woman. And then finally, of course, the headline and the first sentence of every story around the country tomorrow will be, he refused to say he would accept the results of the election. All right, but now that you've but challenged I, Amy and I, 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 I feel we deserve an explanation of why you think that Hillary Clinton did not have It's such perfect a, for such a, a great podcast debate. that you guys get a response when I attack you, so let's do it. Well, no. What was, what's your explanation for why it wasn't such a great debate for Hillary? I'm saying it's not her best debate. I think the first debate was by far her best debate. She rolled him... From oh, the beginning to the end, she just I thought like she controlled the whole thing. Overprepared in the first debate, I thought she like sort of surgically delivered these attack lines and missed some real opportunities if she had been more spontaneous. I mean, when he admitted that not paying taxes makes him smart, instead of going to her next canned response in the first debate, she could have said, "Donald, millions of Americans pay their taxes. Are you? What are you saying about them that they're not smart?" I, I just think she could have seized what she did the next day at a rally, which is a canned response, think, right? No, but she was so focused on like her script and hitting the Alicia Machado and hitting these attacks that she, I think, missed opportunities and uh, that I've seen her take in other debate settings. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, something that made her performance stronger was the policy. I mean, this was a much more policy-driven driven debate, and Donald Trump was just out policy talked by her. I mean, at some yes. point, he referred to the START treaty as the startup treaty. Take a look at the startup that they signed. Like it was a young little company in his building. <laughs> well, the thing that really got disarmament. me, honestly, there was that kind of 90-second riff on ISIS and Aleppo in the Middle East. And if I had to diagram that sentence, it would take me <laughs> Trump's. like a five-foot-wide piece of printer paper. I, I could not make anything out of it. By fighting Assad, who turned out to be a lot tougher than she thought, she's just, he's just much tougher and much smarter than her and Obama. And everyone thought he was gone two years ago, three years ago. He aligned, he aligned with Russia. He now also aligned with Iran who we made very powerful. We gave them $150 billion back. We give them $1.7 in cash. I mean cash, bundles of cash as big as this stage. We gave them $1.7 billion. Now, they have lined, he has aligned with Russia and with Iran. They don't want ISIS, but they have other things because we're backing, we're backing rebels. We don't know who the rebels are. We're giving them Lots of money, lots of everything. We don't know who the rebels are. 
And when and if, and it's not going to happen because you have Russia and you have Iran now, but if they ever did overthrow Assad, you might end up with as bad as Assad is. And he's a bad guy. But you may very well end up with worse than Assad. I keep using the phrase word salad to describe him in these debates. I can never tell where he's going. That was maybe one of the most incomprehensible statements I have heard in any of the debates. So I think you're right on the policy. And I think for Hillary Clinton, you know, she has been dying to get an outlet of 80 million people to hear about how she wants to make college debt free, just like Bernie Sanders proposed. You know, for her, she was able to hit some of her policy points that I know her team is frustrated have been completely lost in this sort of battle of personalities and scandals that has erupted in the past two debates. So I think they'd consider it a win that she could explain a couple of those policies. All right, let's talk about sex. Uh, Hillary Clinton <laughs> was asked by Chris Wallace about her husband's conduct and what she may have done in defense. Secretary Clinton, Mr. Trump says what your husband did and that you defended was even worse. And you know what she did? She completely ignored the question. How did that happen? How'd she get away with that? Well, she's she expertly avoided a couple questions. I mean, as soon as she was asked about the, uh, the WikiLeaks and her call for open border, her dream to be open borders, uh, you know, she pivoted to the real problem here, Chris, is the Russians. You know, and she did the same thing with the women accusation. I think this is something that, as Nick said, a more seasoned debate opponent could have pressed her on, could have gone back to, why didn't you answer that? Um, and she just wasn't as yeah. challenged Trump as she could have been. One of his one of what he would tell it you was, was his most potent lines of attack. And the same thing happened in the last debate, Michael. Like, again, like, you know, she was pressed on this and she just brushed it off and moved on. And I was I was kind of surprised. I mean, if Trump is going to interrupt her in a debate, of all the things to interrupt her on, interrupt her on that. And if he argues, if he believes that confronting Hillary Clinton about her husband's infidelities or alleged sexual assaults is a winning strategy... Do it on the debate stage. And yet time and time again, when this has come up, he talks a big game. He brings his people to the debates. He puts them in the audience and then he balks. Yeah, he kind of loses his courage in the end to bring up some of these. I mean, he didn't refer to any of the special guests in the audience tonight who were quite special. They were very, very special. There was a young man who claims to be Bill Clinton's son. He was in the audience? He was in the audience. A woman who says that in 1980, Bill Clinton sexually assaulted her multiple times. She's just come forward, and this according happened to Breitbart. In the last debate, too. There were women right. who had accused Bill Clinton of sexual misconduct in the audience, and he didn't turn to them at all and refer to them and try to rattle her with them. But let's speaking of... Speaking of but I'd say the flip side of the kind of lack of courage conversation is that Hillary Clinton really has not gone hard at Donald Trump over these accusations that he sexually assaulted women. I mean, she's sort of also gingerly stepped around it. I mean, she's obviously criticized the way he speaks about women and other groups, but she hasn't gone hard about him being a pr potentially sexual predator because I think, to Nick's point, it opens her up to all of these attacks. You know, you have these women sitting in the audience and all of a sudden it's, well, you shamed your husband's sexual accusers. I mean, could could it be that she doesn't want to talk about it and he doesn't want to talk about it mm. in the end? So they don't talk about so it. So nobody talks about it? So Trump tried something really interesting when it came to the growing number of allegations that he was predatory with women, which was to suggest that Hillary Clinton and the media had planted these accusations. I believe, Chris, that she got these people to step forward. If it wasn't, they get their 10 minutes of fame. Did that come off as credible? I don't think so. And there's no evidence for it. And look, we're in the media, so we have a, 
um, you know, a knight in this fight, right? Yeah, for but, the record, none of the women that we spoke to were plants of the Clinton campaign. But also, I mean, I know they weren't, but if they were, that doesn't make it not true. I mean, often, you know, op- opposing candidates find things in their rivals' past that we dig around and confirm and find out, you know, are also true. So I don't think that that claim, uh, the other claim that was pretty great was... I didn't even apologize to my wife, who's sitting right here, because I didn't do anything. I mean, you know, the other possibility, (laughs) obviously, is that when you go on a debate stage and insist in front of 50 or 70 million people that you never sexually harassed anybody, maybe a few people are going to come out of the woodwork in the next couple of days and say that's not true. I mean, Hillary did jump on that and say the way you dismiss these claims at your rally was to say, look at these women. Who would touch these women? I mean, to dismiss their looks. He went on to say, look at her. I don't think so. About another woman, he said, that wouldn't be my first choice. He attacked the woman reporter writing the story, called her disgusting, as he has called a number of women uh, during this campaign. Donald thinks belittling women makes him bigger. I mean, what a what a loser way to approach that issue. I mean, he walked right into it. Somebody else was in the audience, by the way. That was James O'Keefe, who made the undercover video suggesting that Democratic Party operatives were trying to incite violence at Trump rallies. That's right. It was James O'Keefe. It was Obama's half brother. It was uh, the Benghazi moms, the angel moms, right? It was it was everybody moms. who figures. It was a mom and a fiance. Yeah, it was it yeah. was it was everybody who figures in the Breitbart pantheon. It reminded me of it the was finale the ghost of Clinton scandals past. Exactly, it was at the finale of Seinfeld yeah. when everybody comes to testify against Jerry and his and his buddies for the crimes they've committed against them. So, since we're talking about the debate hall and who's in it, how did Chris Wallace of Fox News do? What was interesting. Of course, about Fox finally having a moderator in a general election debate is that Trump sort of sees this as his possibly only ally in the media. And and yet there were still some pretty heated moments, and most of them were around Chris Wallace getting kind of frustrated with Trump. But how did he do overall? I think he did. I mean, to me, he did well. I had talked to a lot of voters who, like, weren't even interested in watching this debate because they feel like the issues they care about, Social Security abortion, gun rights, all of these things hadn't really even been touched on in the previous debate. So to that extent, I think, you know, viewers who are watching got a lot more meat on the bone about what these candidates would do. I mean, to open it with a Supreme Court question, which frankly is just the top of mind for a lot of voters, even who can't stomach Hillary, they think, well, what about the Supreme Court? Yeah, he made it serious. Yeah, it's funny. I I had a slightly different take. Listen, I think debate moderating is among the hardest jobs in political journalism. I could never do it. Uh, I'm impressed by anybody who can, I think. Chris Wallace is a good journalist. Um, I did find that like some of these questions became so abstract that they didn't feel connected to the news. And maybe that's okay, but there was a sense of, uh, you know, I'm not really sure, but but it was like walking through a list of policy preferences. And um, so I think to some extent the debate lacked a certain kind of energy. On the other hand, up until now, it's amazing that we hadn't had a, a question on immigration. Mm-hmm or abortion in these two debates. Yeah, I think what we want, like the news and the excitement and ask what everyone's talking about is not necessarily what what, what voters I hear from want. They want to they want to hear like what's your plan to make college affordable. And if there is if there is one good reason for a disaffected Republican to vote for Donald Trump right now, it is the Supreme Court. If you're going to pick one thing, like you know, if I can put it all aside, 
all his problems, it's that reason. Right. And when you and when you link that to the fact that he found a potent way to talk about abortion, which is a really important issue to people who care about the Supreme Court, especially conservatives, you know, the combination of those two answers it might have been endeared him to a set of voters that were more skeptical of him than we think about. I think so. Look, again, I, I keep saying this, but like there is a certain audience out there in the Republican Party. And remember, he's right now polling in the low 40s, high 30s. He's losing a ton of habitual Republican voters. There are people out there who just want to hear him talk like a normal Republican for like five minutes so they can tell themselves it's okay to go in there and pull the lever for him. So for those people, I think tonight probably helped a bit. On the other hand, the offsetting problem with him is women and college-educated people um, and more affluent voters. And I think there's a lot he, he – I think there are many points tonight in which he hurt himself with those groups. Does it feel like he was more articulate tonight on – not just social issues, but even the economy and foreign policy with a few obvious gaffes like the startup? I had that sense. I, I, I'm trying to think of where it was. I felt as though he talked about his business record in a slightly less self-aggrandizing way than he usually does. It's a low bar, but there you go. Um, I feel like, again, and again, this is a low bar, but he was able to unspool some basic riffs about taxes and job creation. And I think... He's been so unconventional that we've forgotten what it sounds like when a normal Republican is campaigning on those issues. And so we heard a bit of that tonight. I mean, to Nick's point, I think one of his most effective uh, you know, lines of attack is trade, which he, I think, could have hit her harder on, especially since the WikiLeaks speeches showed her to say her dream is open borders. But, you know, when he hits her on NAFTA, he hits her on trade, I think those are very effective arguments, especially with some of those Rust Belt, Ohio, Pennsylvania voters who have just been just been departing him in recent weeks. Absolutely. Look, with, with NAFTA and ISIS, um, you know, a lot of his arguments will break down on closer inspection. You'll find economists who say that if you, you know, revoke NAFTA, you'll cause all kinds of economic havoc. But there is a really deep intuitive appeal to voters when you say these trade deals are unfair and that Obama and Clinton have messed up the Middle East and created a vacuum for ISIS because it jives with their experience. And I think it's, it's intuitively extremely powerful. And when he can hit those notes, it's good for him. Right. NAFTA is just a symbol. And I thought he had a great line. I mean, when Hillary Clinton said when my husband was in office, he left with a balanced budget and a surplus. And he and Trump said, yeah, but we didn't know the effects yet. And, and the effects of NAFTA were incredibly painful. It is just horrible what's happened to these people in these communities. Now, she can say that her husband did well, but boy, did they suffer as NAFTA kicked in because it didn't really kick in very much, but it kicked in after they left. Boy, did they suffer. I want to do a quick lightning round because I felt the answers and questions were too long during the debate. So I'm going to do what I wish Chris Wallace had done. Amy, what was Hillary Clinton's best moment in this debate? Take a break. <laughs> Nick, what was Hillary Clinton's best moment in this debate? I think her absolute best moment was when she came out and said that every woman in the country could imagine what it was like to be belittled for their weight or their appearance. And she's right. He goes after their dignity, their self-worth. And I don't think there is a woman anywhere who doesn't know what that feels like. I just think she spoke directly to a personal experience that over half of the electorate has had. And that was just a home run for her. Amy? 
I think her best moment was when Donald Trump was musing about sitting in his beautiful hotel down the road and she just stopped him, interrupted him and said, made with Chinese steel. I mean, I sat in my apartment today on a very beautiful hotel down the street known as Trump. Made with Chinese steel. But I will tell you, I sat there. Zing. Zing. All right, Trump's best moment. I think his best, I mean, his best attacks to me throughout the, all the debates have been when he turns it on trade and he turns around NAFTA and he, because Bill Clinton's record is still very associated with economic growth and the go-go 90s and everybody felt great. And so when Trump can say he didn't know the effects, what NAFTA did was devastating. It was a good moment. I think the best riff that he had in this whole debate was when he talked about her experience mm-hmm. when he went at her on that. And you do have experience. I say the one thing you have over me is experience, but it's bad experience because what you've done has turned out badly. For 30 years, you've been in a position to help. And if you say that I use steel or I use something else, I make it impossible for me to do that. I wouldn't mind. The problem is you talk, but you don't get anything done, Hillary. For the average voter, if, if you're struggling, if you're not doing well, what good is all her time in office, all her ideas, all her experience, if it hasn't led to change. And I think her legislative record is thin enough that it's a powerful it's a powerful attack for him. And he just hammered, and she frankly did not have a great answer for it. Who most embodied their SNL caricature in this debate? Was it Hillary Clinton seeming a lot like Kate McKinnon? Or was it Wrong. Donald Trump Wrong. morphing into Alec Baldwin with his wet lips pursed? You're the puppet. Wrong. <laughs> You're a puppet. All right, but guys, answer Wrong. the question. I'm no. going to go with Donald Trump because I think Kate McKinnon is brilliant, but she's very much like the ambition monster Hillary. Right. And I think Hillary was more of an Amy Poehler Hillary in this setting. You know, <laughs> she'd done her homework. She was ready. She was not letting anything get past her. She was more an Amy Poehler in this one. Wrong. <laughs> no, right. Definitely Donald Trump. All right, I, I mean, know. Excuse me, fact, my turn. Were, in fact, there were times when he was literally his Alec Baldwin character. Tonight I'm going to do three things. I'm going to huff, I'm going to puff, and I'm going to blow this whole thing. I know it's an exhausting thing to think about the final couple of weeks of his campaign. We want it to be over, but it's not. So... Quickly, what do we anticipate the next couple of weeks are going to look and feel like? Well, I think Hillary Clinton will have to start having some rallies and events. Imagine that. She can't say that she's just doing debate prep. Um, so, so no, she's going to be hitting the campaign trail. We're go- I'm going to Ohio with her on Friday. I think the campaign's seen bigger crowds. They think that these debates build enthusiasm. Donald Trump's comments about women build enthusiasm. So she's going to be, we're going to be spending a lot of time, North Carolina, Florida, Ohio. Mr. Cavazori. Have you seen that movie, The Princess Bride? Yes. Where they put the hero into the pit of despair. Inconceivable. And try to suck the life out of him. I think that's the next three weeks. <laughs> what are a we positive the, are we getting the life note to end of? on? We, the voter, the American Republic, we're all getting the life sucked out of. I saw another one. I saw you know Willy Wonka and they go through the really scary tunnel. I saw this great New Yorker cartoon that was like Tunnel of the Next Three Weeks. <laughs> all right, kids. It is one thirty-seven a.m. I want to thank you for sticking around and doing this. Run Up listeners are grateful. I am grateful. Thank you both. Thanks for having us. Thanks for the rosé. 
Wrong. How was it? How was the rosé? The rosé is delicious, actually. It might go with some cold pizza that's sitting out in the newsroom. Some, like, really, really cold congealed pizza. All right. Cheers. 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 That is it for this special Thursday episode of The Run-Up. I'm Michael Barbaro. I'll see you back here on Tuesday. You look around your business and see inefficiency everywhere. So you should know these numbers. 37,000, the number of businesses which have upgraded to the number one cloud financial system, NetSuite by Oracle. 25. NetSuite just turned 25. That's 25 years of helping businesses streamline their finances and reduce costs. One, because your unique business deserves a customized solution, and that's NetSuite. Learn more when you download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist absolutely free at netsuite.com slash NYT. That's netsuite.com slash NYT.